Hi, I'm Jay Thomas, and welcome to Ball Tires, proud member of the Saskatchewan Podcast Network. This week, the episode is with Jim Kerr. Now, last week we did part one with Jim, where we talked about his amazing career as an automotive journalist and as an automotive instructor at Sask Polytech. If you missed that episode, take a listen. It's going to be just in front of this one in the same place you found this podcast. Today, though, we're talking with Jim about a couple of cars in his garage right next to us, a 64 Impala SS and a 19. 57 Ford Thunderbird he's owned for a lot of years. Some great stories to come, so stick around. This is Bald Tires, because when you make great memories, you make bald tires. The Saskatchewan Podcast Network is supported by Conexus. Does money spark joy in your life or cause you stress? If you said stress, you're not alone. For 42% of Canadians, their biggest stressor comes from money. At Conexus, they care about your financial well-being. Money doesn't have to be stressful, and Conexus is here to help. The Conexus Hashtag Money Talk blog provides expert advice, tips, and solutions for all life stages and events. Getting married, buying a house, budgeting, saving, they cover it all and more. And did I mention it's free? Check it out today at ConnexusMoneyTalk.ca and start feeling confident and stress-free about your money. The Saskatchewan Podcast Network is also supported by Direct West. Is marketing getting in the way of running your business? Direct West has local expert teams right here in Saskatchewan that will work with you to build your website exactly how you imagine it. Let them help you improve your online presence and head to DirectWest.com to learn more. Let's talk about a couple of these cars that are in the shop right here with us right now. So to your right is uh, the 64 Impala SS, right? Yes. So where did you find this car? It's actually a, a local Saskatoon car. It is, okay. It's sold as SMP in uh, uh, the GM dealer in town here. Wow, and it is a true SS. Yes, yeah. So it's not a, an imitation or a mock-up of that, right? No, no, it's a true SS. So what's under the hood? It's got a newer 350 Vortec engine. Okay. Uh, I built this car for uh, fuel economy, touring, cruising. Okay. So uh, everything on it is built for fuel economy and uh, uh, just ride comfort. So you, as I understand it, this thing was taken completely apart. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I was fortunate when I was at uh, SAS Polytechnique that uh, once uh, the auto body students take in a vehicle once a year, uh, and just redo it over. And uh, I had the vehicle here running and uh, licensed and so on. And I got a phone call saying, uh, we've had a cancellation. If you can have the vehicle here in two weeks, we'll uh, do uh, the body on it. And did it need the body doing? It definitely had some rust in it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the part of the body program there is they don't fix rust. They replace complete panels. Because okay. that's the way they fix new cars. So that's right. They use the same technique on an old car as they would on a new car. Mm. And they would only take cars that new panels were available for. Yeah, like an Impala, obviously there's new panels available. But like I've got my 69 Buick. Ah, there's almost none. That's right. You pretty so, much can't get reproduction. So they wouldn't work on that car at all. Right, because right. fixing rust really doesn't have a lot of training potential for what they do in industry. But putting a quarter panel on a 64 Chev and are putting a quarter panel on uh, a brand new uh, uh, car is virtually the same technique. Yeah, different, different, uh, completely different style, but the te- technique is the same. That's right. The style of, of, of metal is what I mean, but uh-huh. the work a, a they actually... panels, yeah. uh, how they weld it together, uh, the seam sealers they use, everything is the same technique. Right. 
So what what all was replaced in this car? Oh, it's had major work. Oh, really? Oh, uh, yes. Uh, the floor pan has been replaced uh, underneath the whole car. Oh. It wasn't bad, but uh, there were a few holes. So, and you can get a complete floor pan for the car with the inner rocker panels and so on. Wow. So, uh, it's an expensive part, but uh, it's a whole sub-assembly with the braces already welded in as it should be. And Holy cow. And put in. Uh, it uh, commonly rusts around the trunk pan and the body mounts at the back, so mm. they were all put in. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's had both rear quarters put on. Cool. Yeah. And uh, doors have uh, been replaced on it. The doors were replaced. Yeah. Completely replaced or reskinned? Uh, re- completely replaced. Wow. Although uh, I think I would reskin it another time. Would you? Yeah. Uh, the door panel or the door shells themselves, some of the holes on the inside where uh, things bolt into weren't quite in the right position. <laughs> oh, so no. it's taken quite a few hours to uh, redrill or file holes and, and so on, getting everything fitting right. But is That's pretty common though for aftermarket pieces not to be exact fit. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Many of the dies that they use aren't exactly the same as the factory. And, and there's some real cheap knockoffs. You try and buy the quality parts, but some parts, there's just no, nothing available. You have to buy the cheap have, parts. You have to take what you can get, Yeah, basically. So they did all that work, and then it was painted a beautiful... Like, that's just jet black, right? That, that's the original color of the car. Yeah. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. It came from SMP. Uh, it's called Tuxedo Black. Yep. And it had the red interior in it. It's so sharp looking. It's a two-door hardtop. So, you know, when you roll the windows down, you've got no B pillar, just an A and a C. And uh, still has the little, what do we call them? Quarter windows in the front. Yes, the vent windows. The vent windows. Uh, It's a bucket seat car. Right, all the SSs were a bucket seat car. With a console in the middle. Yeah, the SS wasn't a high performance option. It was a trim option. And that's that's still uh, in some cases the same the same thing they do now with some things. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, out at the farm, we still have a, a parts car out there, a '64 Impala SS. Oh, really? Yes. Which was an original six-cylinder two-speed automatic car. <laughs> <laughs> so not a mover. <laughs> six-cylinder two-speed. Yeah. But it came with the bucket seats and the console. And the different trim on the side and so on. So you did mention, though, this has a power bucket seat. Yes. driver. Yeah. A rare option. A really rare option for it. What else uh, for options on this car? Uh, we put in the U.S. air conditioning. It's a Canadian car, but uh, the Canadian car air conditioning was just an under-dash unit. Oh, just an aftermarket thing. Uh, well, it was GM. Oh, but it, okay. Uh, but it was under-dash. Uh, in the U.S., it was all integrated into the firewall and part of the regular heater unit. So right. we cut the firewall and put in the U.S. air conditioning system in it. Were you able to find that like n- new old stock or new aftermarket kind of thing? No, I found old uh, uh, cars oh. with the parts. Wow. Uh, some of the parts I've had for decades. Really? Yes. Yeah, back in, uh, well, I've had, I think, 28 of these cars now over the years. And... Uh, I've put air conditioning into a couple of them. Wow. And uh, back in the uh, 70s, early 70s, when I was down in the States, I'd stop by Wreckers and just take a walk around and uh, I'd pull out uh, air conditioning vents and so on out of these and some of the more rare parts (laughs) and control systems, put them in a box and mail them home. So this has been like... (laughs) 40 plus years in the making. <laughs> oh, some of the parts on this have been around that long. Yeah, yes. no kidding. 
That's really okay. Twenty. You said twenty-eight of these. Yes. Okay, but you haven't had just twenty-eight cars in total, then, right? Oh you've no. You've had how many cars do you think you've owned? Ah, uh, I don't know. The students asked us that one time of instructors, and uh, I got over a hundred cars on my list that I've actually owned. Wow. Yeah. Some of them I've owned for only a short period of time. They were quick, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I maybe owned them a couple of weeks or something like that, and then something else came along, so I sold that. And, and uh, some I've owned for a long time, like my Thunderbird. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a second, too. Uh, so, Vortec V8, so it's a modern V8 in this yes, thing. Yes, yeah. It's a 1998 uh, 350 Vortec out of a truck. Out of a truck, but you put a carburetor on top of it. Yes, yeah. It's carbureted. I just wanted to make it look old school and so on. Okay, so. yeah. And, and like power steering, power steering, power brakes, power windows, uh, air conditioning. Um, I've got a power trunk for it, uh, release. I haven't put it in yet, but uh, I think I will. The power popping thing where it, li- yeah. Li- yeah, take off. Now the coolest part is what you've done with the wiring in this car. Oh, <laughs> like it is sensational. How many hours do you think you've spent? Oh, I probably a thousand plus hours. A thousand plus hours in the wiring. Yeah. To uh, explain, and I'll put a picture of this up on jthomasauto.ca. Jim, you built a a board that holds all the new modern wiring that runs everything. It holds quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, I put a a package tray in the back trunk compartment that's got a body computer in it. And the body computer operates the lights, locks, alarm system, uh, door. Power windows. It can, but I've got a separate power window system, so I just okay. kept the factory power window yeah, yeah. Uh, wiring in it. Uh, That's phenomenal. Yeah, I wanted uh, some of the features so that when you approach the car, uh, you know, and hit your key fob, the uh, uh, lights would flash and so on. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and the thing is, you haven't just ripped this out of some other car. No, the, the body computer itself is out of a uh, 2008 Chev truck. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, but then I've made the wiring harness from there and, uh, that's unbelievable. There's, there's even things like, um, puddle lamps. You see them on the new cars that, uh, shine from the bottom of the mirror and so on. Well, this has it underneath the doors. You open the door and there's an LED that shines down. So it's really, uh, onto the ground so you can see where you're stepping. And, uh, I've put, uh, red interior lights in it so uh <laughs> when you're driving at night of course red doesn't bother your night vision That's so right, they're little yeah. red leds and they are in the armrests and they just shine just far enough forward that you can see where the door handles are and just a faint glow on the side oh, door cool. panels and underneath the, the the back seat there's little ones that just shine just down on the well, carpet i mean they're doing this in new cars all over the place yeah, right so but... i thought why not do it this... oh that's so cool and you know, the thing is you do everything, uh, just looking at your work here, I know nobody's ever going to even see these things, you no. know, you've got it all hidden. So it's not like it's like a big hole drilled in something and oh, there's the LED sitting there. You've got it all tucked away so nice. Nobody will ever see this stuff. It'll just appear and no, work no. and you know. Even the electronics uh, tray that I've got in the trunk is on a hinge. You push it up and there's a couple bolts, hold it in place. You can't even tell it's there when when it's... Uh... Yeah, you open the trunk, you don't see anything. You'd have to lay on your back inside the trunk looking at the bottom of the package tray to see it. Right. Yeah, yeah. it's totally hidden, completely out of sight. That's the way I like 
uh, just to make it look completely oh, stock and so it's on. fantastic and even the transmission uh, it's uh, got a six-speed manual in it because I like manual transmissions. yeah we talked about that and uh -huh. uh, I wanted the overdrive gears in it uh, plus uh, so that I've got a performance rear end in it, it gives me acceleration yeah plus, you said a 411 yeah well, that's, that's, you know, super performance. Like that's Toa House kind of performance. Right. But with a six-speed, you've actually got cruising gears. That's right. So I, I'm only doing about 1,300, 1,400 RPM at uh, 60 miles per hour. <laughs> that's the car everybody dreamed of in 1964. Yes. Right? Yeah. It was, nobody could, you couldn't really do that then. There was only four speeds, right? Right. So you either picked between performance or economy or kind of if you could thought, thought of it highway or performance, right? Right. You just picked your rear end and you got what you got and that was it. This is awesome. Yeah, it's a, it's a great combination. Yes, and, it ever. And uh, you know, I've gone through it to make it like a daily driver. So the whole frame has been uh, sandblasted, powder coated. All the suspension has been powder coated. New bushings, uh, new springs. You said uh, you've got uh, sway bars in the rear of this thing too. Yeah, right? sway bars, performance shocks in it. Uh, I've disc brake conversion for the front and so on. So it's going to be. Every bit as reliable as they were when they brand new, but it handles a lot better. <laughs> I bet, hey. What's left to do in the car? Um, I've still got a couple air conditioning hoses to hook up. Yep. Uh, finish a little bit of wiring on the far side and then put the interior panels in. And that's it. And she's ready. And a, and a wheel alignment and she's ready to go. That's right. Yeah. I haven't done the alignment yet because I want all the weight in the car before I do the alignment. Do that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, I noticed your, your column's out right now. So yes. that'll get put in and then you'll be good to go kind yeah, of thing. The instrument cluster is all uh, um, done up. It's got the factory tack uh, in, oh. in the instrument cluster and, and so on. And I haven't put it in because there's a little bit of wiring to do under the dash on that side yet. And it's just easier. With no cluster in there. With no cluster. That's unbelievable. And it looks so good with the red and the black man. Oh, man. What a cool car. That's actually, my very first 64 Chev was black with a red interior. Oh. That, that exactly com color combination. Well, there you, so. there you go. I mean, that's... I, I'm reliving my youth. <laughs> I, think, I think there's a lot of guys who, if they could, you know, pick a car to have when they, you know, that, that dream car, it is their first car. I think it. I think if the first car just there's something magical about it. It doesn't matter if it was a complete piece of crap. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it was a complete rust bucket. You know, big old boat. You know, beater. Everybody loved their first car for a reason or two. Oh yeah. Well, it's the memories we had in them. Yeah. You know, and uh, I've even got an eight-track player that I've had since 1973. Really? Yes, with eight tracks that. I may put in the car later on. Oh here. yeah, just, you gotta do that. Just just for memories, nostalgia. Yeah, totally. The, the biggest problem with that is you, it's hard to get matchbooks anymore to stick in there <laughs> to keep the tapes playing. <laughs> a lot of those old eight tracks are starting to uh, get a little crusty inside too. Yeah. yeah, but oh my god, that's funny. That's phenomenal. So yeah, it's gonna be like your first car. Um, let's go through some of these. Give give me. How about a top five of your favorite cars? You've had like a hundred cars. What are some of the top five that you've owned? That you go, oh man, I wish I wouldn't have got rid of that one. We'll talk about this Thunderbird in a second, but okay. um, actually, my '61 Nomad station wagon. Yeah. When I got rid of it, I didn't realize how rare those wagons were. Yeah, I bet. You know, and I'd love to have that car. It was a beautiful riding car, and just uh, uh, I'd changed the motor in it. It came with a 283. Mm -hmm. I put a 327 in it. Yeah. And uh, so it had a little bit more power, yep. but uh, again, it was a highway car and it was just a beautiful car to drive. 
How about through like the 80s and 90s? What were some of your memorable ones then? Oh, uh... And you know what? Maybe I'll ask you this first. Let's qualify this for a second. Have you been a guy who has bought, like you've got some old stuff here, oh. right? Some vintage stuff, 50s, 60s, into the 70s. Have, has that always been your passion, the older stuff? Or have you, like you, you drive all this new stuff with your, your job as an automotive journalist. So has that ever, has that ever prompted you to buy a, a, a newer car and wanted that as your toy as well? Or has it always been the old stuff? Uh both. Both? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Both. Uh, I love the old cars. Uh, you know, they're easier to work on in many ways. Yeah. But when you start putting all these options in, it's uh, <laughs> it gets much more difficult. But sure. that's the way I like it. I like some of the brand new vehicles. I just had a Honda Ridgeline, which uh, was a beautiful truck. Isn't that an awesome and, truck? Uh, if I was uh, going to buy one or buy a new vehicle, that's definitely on the top of my list. Oh, really? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. yeah, but uh, things like uh, the new Corvette. Yeah, you know, if you want a performance vehicle, it's the best bang for your buck out there. So did you, did that ever inspire you? That like like of like of old and new. Did you ever, uh, after reviewing a car throughout your years in as a j- journalist, did did you ever go buy one of anything you drove? Um. I think so. (laughs) I know I'm wavering on that, but uh, yeah, like I'm thinking of new vehicles that I bought. Um, Mazda Protégé 5. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, I liked the Mazdas I drove. I went out, I was looking for a new vehicle, a little compact vehicle to drive around town and so on. Uh, Used to slalom at an odd time with the sports car club and... uh, uh, it was a fun car. It was supposedly the slowest class of car out there, but it would, on any given day, it would compete with the fastest cars out there just because it handled so well. Right. Okay. Yeah. So you, so you have bought some stuff that you've liked, you yeah. know, not, I'll, I'll use, um, uh, my, my, <laughs> my friend Calvin, he calls them BGV. Boring grown-up vehicles. Oh. <laughs> there's, there's mostly people that, you know, are, are in this sort of hobby. They've got classic stuff or they've got, you know, cars they'd like. And then they also have a boring grown-up vehicle, a BGV. Yeah. But uh, you've, you've probably had a few of those too here and there, right? Yeah, um, bought a 96 GMC pickup, brand yeah. new. You know. So just a half ton, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, extended cab, you know, it served its purpose well and so on. Um, I uh, sold it. I bought a, a used Avalanche. Oh yeah, just because I had kids growing up and I needed more backseat room and so yeah, on. Yeah, but I knew about the Avalanche because I'd driven them. Yes. So the, the driving the new one definitely influenced me to buy the with what you what, what you I bought, bought later. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. So okay, we know the Nomad Wagon, mm-hmm. right? If we keep going, say trying to get to a top five of the favorite cars you've owned, pick another one off the top of your head that comes to mind that you just <sighs> loved. Oh, my 66 Corvair. Oh, fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a fun car. It was uh, the 140 horse, four-speed manual transmission. Yep. Uh, just uh, a fun car to drive. And then I decided I wanted to make it a high-performance car. Oh, yeah. And I uh, ordered parts in from Crown Manufacturing in the States, and I put a mid-engine V8 in it. Oh, sweet. <laughs> and I uh, drove it for several years uh uh, on the street and just competing with the sports car club. Wow, that's fun. Yeah. Did they really handle as bad as as they always claimed they handled? No, they didn't. I didn't think so. No. Yeah. Um, 
64 and earlier, I think they, from 61 to 64, they had a, what they called a swing axle mm-hmm. in them, which uh, meant that there was just a joint uh, in the middle and a solid tube out to the tire. Mm-hmm. So if you went into a corner and the tire dug into something, it would tend to fold underneath the car. Oh, okay. Okay. So if you were on, say, uh, soft stuff, it would grab and maybe dig in. It, it could, yeah. yeah. But uh, for it to dig into something, you pretty well had to have a tire that was way underinflated mm. and so on. Now, at the same time, the Volkswagen Beetle had exactly the same suspension setup. Yeah. Yeah. Of course so it did. It was uh, more driver problem, you know, and maintenance problem than it was the car. And, uh, of course, by the time... They corrected that in 65. They went to a suspension which was very similar to what the Corvette had in it. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, so my 66 Corvair had uh, a Corvette-style suspension, and it handled very well. So that uh, unsafe at any speed, you know, documentary or whatever <laughs> book it was that came out, that, uh, that probably damaged Chevrolet quite a bit, didn't it? In that class of car, oh, yes, yeah. Like... That's why the Corvair hardly sold anything in 67 to 69, which was the last year okay. of it. And uh, it was replaced by Camaro. Oh, well, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Similar body in many ways with uh, the bulge on the fenders. And, yeah. Now that I think of what you're saying that. Yeah. And yeah. so on. But uh, it didn't have that economy car. Although you could get the Camaro with a six-cylinder, very few people ordered it that way. Yeah, that's probably rare now. That's just like seeing, uh, I mean, there was probably more Mustangs with six cylinders. That oh, was probably yes. more prevalent, right? Yeah. But now it's, it is slightly unusual to see one. I did see one at a car show recently that was really well restored, really well done. Gosh, I can't even remember what color it was, but I just noted that it was like, wow, this is, it was a fastback and a manual transmission car and looked very good. And like, and then he had the hood open and I went, oh, there's a six cylinder in here. Hmm. A lot of guys just rip those out and dump V8s in them, right? Right. Yes. And so to find one that is original the way it was is not as common as it used to Uh be, right? Even though they were lots that were sold, I just find now that 50, 60 years later, a lot of them were abandoned. Yeah, they've been modified or or just uh, junked. Yeah, yeah. right. Used, yeah. They used the six-cylinder as the parts car, and they took the one that had the V8 and restored that one. Right. So yeah. to speak, right? Uh, but it should have been the other way around because the six-cylinder car usually saw less abuse. <laughs> so the body was probably in better shape. <laughs> yeah. Probably, yeah. But there's a, there's a numbers-matching thing that everybody's always going for too, right? That's so, right. So yeah. there's, there's that to it as well. Okay, so the Corvair. Pick another car that was just one of your favorites. Oh, 87 Nissan uh, pickup. Really? Yeah. Oh, that'd have been cool. Yeah. The V6, five-speed manual transmission. Uh, Just wonderful truck. Uh, No problems with it whatsoever. Did it rust to smithereens? No. Or you sold it before it rusted? I had it for 11 years. Okay, that's pretty good. Yeah. That's pretty good. And there was no rust on it whatsoever. I mean, Nissans and Toyotas, the trucks of that generation were bad, you know, known for rusting. Everything was known for rusting in the 80s, though. I mean, that was the way it was. If you went around Detroit, you'd find AMC vehicles with no front fenders on them. They rusted so bad. (laughs) (laughs) Flap in the wind, practically. Yeah. 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 That's a cool little truck, though, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Was it the the King Cab, the one with the little extended on the... Yes, it was. Yeah. Yeah. In fact... uh, Ford is just bringing out another truck brand new 
here that'll be out in a month. The uh, Maverick. The Maverick. Yeah. Yeah, which is going to be, pro I'm thinking, similar size to what that uh, little Nissan truck was. Yeah, so. I've been reading all about it as much as I can. Uh, just because it's <laughs> it's cool to finally have something small again. Yes. You know, I think, uh, I know this is kind of getting off topic, but I think that, man, we lost a lot when Ford got rid of the, the Ranger that used to be. You know, yeah. and I mean, they had to, I understand why there's crash test regulations they had to meet. And that, that little guy that, you know, it was, when did they end production? 2011. So that body style had gone back a lot of years, like into the nineties, right? Yes. Yeah. But you take a look at the, the full size trucks now, and they're bigger than what we had for three ton trucks, uh, back in the eighties. Exactly. You know, and, uh, vehicles like the new Ford Ranger and so on are the size of what full-size pickups were back in, in the, the 80s. 80s. Yes. Yes. And small trucks just don't exist anymore and, you until know, this Maverick is coming up. Exactly. And uh, you know, and Dodge hasn't had a small truck for a little while now. The Dakota's been gone for a while, right? Yeah. But even it grew it, over the years. It did. But you know, they weren't fooling anybody. Chevrolet and Ford weren't fooling anybody with the Colorado and the new Ranger thinking that that was a small truck because like you just said, they're the size that pickups used to be. People still remember that. And some, there's a lot of people I've met out there who still just want a tiny little workhorse truck. Yeah. You know, yeah. the size of the old Ranger or that little mm -hmm. Nissan you're talking about that you had. Well, one of the problems with a full-size truck now is you can't see into the box and you can't reach over to grab anything in there because they're so <laughs> tall. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And they're, they're a heck, heck of a time to park. Yes. You know. Yeah. Although not, they've got some amazing park assist options on them. They do. They do. But you know what? You also are into the $70,000 range when you want to get those park assists. Like you want a full loaded oh, truck. Yes. Yeah. You know, with 70, all that. 70000 plus. Exactly. I've driven trucks that were over 100000 I know. Exactly. And it's, and it's easy to see when rolling around down the freeway. Yeah. You know, you pass by $100,000 trucks every day driving. And, and that's... Uh, eye-bulging to me, I guess, that much money for a half ton. I know they're amazing and they're beautiful, but there is, I believe, still a market for small, utilitarian, and I mean, this new Maverick is still going to be a nice vehicle, but, you know, a small, basic pickup truck. Yeah, and uh, I think they started at about 29000 so you've got, uh, you know, the beginning uh, first-time car buyer or truck buyer could get into that reasonably easy and have a brand new vehicle. Yeah, they, yeah, that's right. That's right. There was, I know there was people that uh, when they learned that the Ranger was leaving, they went out and got one. Yes. I knew yeah. of people who were like that, who were humming mm. and hawing and they, you know, they wanted mm. something small. And, and once they learned that that was leaving in 2011, they bought one because. But, but it left here in 2011, but worldwide Ranger sales uh, continued on all through the years. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know, if you take a look at Mexico or Central America, there's Ranger trucks all over the place uh, in the previous generation. Yeah. And the new Ranger truck is uh, wonderful. Yeah. I've, I've driven it actually once as well. And it's, yeah. it was awesome. It was quite car-like actually. Yeah. You know, yeah. it handled really well. And, and I, I was impressed. I really yeah. was. And... I have to be honest, the, the old cars, they look great. The styling and so on is there. Um, they just have, make you feel good inside, but they don't have the safety features or the handling that the new vehicles have. Oh, certainly. There is a great video on YouTube, um, the IIHS 50-year celebration. It's, it's, this is already like 10 years old or more. Uh, I think it was 2009. They crashed a 1959 Chevrolet uh, Bel Air. 
against uh, 1950, or not, pardon me, a 2009 Chevrolet Malibu. And there's always that, oh, they don't build cars like they used to, and those cars were big old tanks, and they were strong, and these new ones, they're just made of plastic, blah, 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 blah. And you go watch that video, and your mind will be changed for you. Uh, it's really impressive. A, how well the Malibu does, the 09 Malibu, and B, how poorly the 59 Impala does. Yes. Like, yeah. Really poorly. Like, like you're, you, you would have lost, <laughs> lost some limbs or your life in that mm-hmm. accident. And the person in the, in the Malibu, the new car, would have simply opened yeah. the door and walked yeah. away. You know? And that's the same as my 64. The 59 Impala or uh, Bel Air is the same basic body. Yeah, that's and right. So, on. so, you know, that's something that I have to consider every time I drive it. Mm-hmm. But I drive it limited and with extra care. Uh, one, I don't want to hurt the car. Yeah. And two, uh, you have to drive for everybody else on the road. Totally, totally. And I, I'm the same way. I, uh, yeah, I do have shoulder belts in my 69 <laughs> Buick, but I mean, there's no retractors yeah. or there's no, there's nothing else in it. I mean, no. it's, it's a pillarless car it's a hard top too so a side impact would be terrible in it you know all those things it it crosses my mind i still i drive it because i think it's like a time machine yeah you know especially the way mine exists it's pretty much a hundred percent original except for a few parts that have had to be replaced along the way but with original style parts so it's like getting in and, and being transported to 1969 but you know cars then um certainly didn't handle like cars do now no uh, and I've been fortunate to actually be able to see some of the crash tests. Oh, really? Yes. And uh, that that's interesting. I remember seeing a Mercedes with a 50 mile per hour, three quarter front impact. 50 miles an hour. Yes. Yeah. And uh, the passenger compartment was completely intact and the crash test oh, dummies wow. were uh, still seated in their seats. Oh, wow. That's impressive. Yes. Because 50, they don't usually test at 50 miles an hour. They test... Lower than that, Usually right? Lower than that, yes. For but, for the standards <clears throat> that we that they have to meet, yeah, right? But th- this was a, uh, a full on test by Mercedes. Yeah. Where where yeah. was it held? Um, I'm going to say Blainville. Uh, that's where the test facility is uh, in Quebec. Oh, I would love to go to yeah. one of those so badly. Like that was just yeah. so cool to see. And and did they, did they walk you through everything how it how it did afterwards and everything like that? No, because it takes uh, a lot of time going through all the computer uh, readouts and so ah, on. Oh, for I sensors see. And so on. Yeah. But you, we visually got to see the car and and so on. I saw another test where uh, Dodge Ram, where it was a, a half frontal a head-on collision. Yeah. And so on. Uh, the front end of the vehicle was absolutely demolished. The door is all still opened on the truck. Oh, really? That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, that's what you want, right? Yes. That that part of the and I think that's the that is the public misconception is that you know this this '64 Impala beside us might have been built with a little bit of that in mind, but not a lot, right? And and the focus really now is have the rear end, have the front end crumple up to absorb the impact, keep the center of the car strong, the the cage around you, yes, to yep. keep the people safe. So sacrifice the car to keep the people alive. Yeah they don't realize that even things like the engine and transmission and so on are designed to go underneath the floor pan of the car mm-hmm. in a frontal collision so that it doesn't go into the passenger compartment. Which wasn't necessarily the case, say, when the 64 Impala was put together, right? Oh, no, no. It could come back right through the firewall at you. Yeah, that, that wasn't... 
I mean, and then before that, yet when we talk into the fifties, like say your Thunderbird over here, mm-hmm. I mean, there was is that a straight a straight uh, steering column on it too, right? There was always that old misconception. Actually, that's a collapsible. I shouldn't say collapsible. It's a telescopic steering column. Oh, is it? Okay. Yes. Yeah, that's which is pretty rare back then. No kidding. But they were <clears throat> generally in the fifties, a straight rod down to the down to the steering box. Oh yeah, it's like a spear. Yeah, and and they were known to take people's heads off weren't they yeah, yeah. or uh, end your life let's put it that yes. way yeah not a good so, scene not a good scene and that that changed into the late 60s and into the 70s too right so they yes. were starting to make some strides gm it was 67 was the first year they put the collapsible steering column in. so my 69 has a collapsible steering column yes oh look at that and shoulder belts. You'd break your, you would break your, my car, you'd break your collarbone because they're just solid attached to the roof and they clip into a separate clasp and then you tighten them by hand. Yeah. But I think it was either the first or second year for shoulder belts. But uh, better to have a broken collarbone than, than a broken face yeah, into the dashboard. Or a spine because just the lap belt held you and the rest of your body went forward. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd still take the... <laughs> the broken collarbone. <laughs> okay, so we, I digress. We kind of got off topic, but that's okay. Uh, we, we were talking about that little Nissan truck you bought. Yes. So that's probably like, I don't know, between the Nomad and the, that's probably like the fourth or so one. How about another favorite? Oh, <clears throat> well, it'd have to be my 64 Chev, the very first one. I think we talked about that one. Yeah. Uh, that one, I ended up putting a real high horsepower 427 V8 in it. Really? Yes. Uh, people in the Chevy industry would know it as an L88. Okay. Which uh, <clears throat> was rated at 430 horsepower. Oh, my God. Uh, the rating on it was downplayed for insurance purposes. So it wasn't... Oh, wow. Okay. No, it was probably closer to 550 to 600 horsepower. Holy smoke. Yeah. You could order them in uh, Corvette. When you ordered it with a Corvette, you can only get a manual transmission. You couldn't get a heater and you couldn't get a radio. Not even a heater? No. It was basically a race engine in disguise. Wow. Yeah. Well, I ordered a crate engine and we put it in the car and it was a four-speed. So, you know, (laughs) it, it was, I like a sleeper, a car that looks nice. You know, people think, well, it'd be reasonably fast, but boy, does it go. Really? No kidding. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Uh, you know, let's take a, a, ch- a chance to talk about this uh, 57 Thunderbird. So where did this car come from? This one's out of Palm Springs. Ooh, okay. Yeah, so uh, uh, I looked high and low before I bought this one. Uh, I had a white one before this. And, did you? And it was fairly rusty. What uh, year? Uh, 57. Again, okay. Yeah, yep. it was actually the opposite of this. It was white with a red interior. Oh, this okay. This one's red with a white interior. Yep. So, um, I had it and I worked on it for seven years, redid the body, uh, replaced the lower half of the door skins, lower half of the fenders and so on, floor pans in it and so on. So it was a a pretty solid driving car. It had a 292 V8 with a three-speed manual Yeah, and so on. And, uh, I knew whatever I did with the car, it was never going to be a real high dollar car because it wasn't completely original Mm -hmm. and so on. And it uh, had a lot of rust. So I was looking for a better car. So in 83, uh, I hopped on that motorcycle right there beside you. (laughs) The BMW, okay. And uh, I went down to Texas 
And there's a gentleman by the name of Amos Minter down there that deals in uh, baby Thunderbirds. Okay. And I looked at about 20 cars he had there. I looked at about another oh, 30 or 40 in the Dallas area. Whoa. And uh, to see what was available. And uh, then I rode over to California and I looked at about another 50 there. So out of all uh, those, yeah, this was the, the one you wanted? Uh, I uh, was had about three or four that I was ready to make an offer on mm-hmm. uh, type thing. I came back and uh, I knew this car. Uh, the owner brought it from Palm Springs to Saskatoon. And I knew the owner. In fact, I'd actually worked on it for him oh, really? a few times. So I knew exactly what condition the car was in. And he'd often said he'd never sell the car. Mm. And we were out at the stock car track one night, and uh, I was about to make an offer down into the States. And I said to him, when are you going to sell me that car? <laughs> and he says, tonight's your lucky night. No way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I didn't have to bring one back from the States. It had already been brought back. That still would have been a hell of a trip, you know, to oh, go yeah. see all these Thunderbirds and travel around the States. So yeah, still fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was great. And uh, like I say, there was, you know, three, four, five cars that I was seriously considering yeah. bringing back. Yeah. But I knew this car came from Palm Springs. Uh, his mother-in-law was in Palm Springs. So that's why there was a connection from there. Gotcha. It had no rust in it whatsoever. And uh, it had been painted many times. Oh. Uh, yeah. The original owner was a lady. And uh, she had the hard top and the soft top for it. The soft top she took out and she put under her porch. And uh, it just kind of rusted and, dis- and the material disintegrated. Yeah, there. right. And in the summertime, she put the hard top on and, and she put air conditioning in it in 1958. <laughs> <laughs> it's an under dash unit, but yeah. uh, the date tags are still there and, and so on. Um, and in the wintertime, when it was cooler in Palm Springs, she'd take the top off and she'd drive just as a convertible. Okay. Yeah, because really it's just too hot in the it, summer. It's too hot in the summer, so that's why she had the air conditioning. But in the off. winter, it's a nice temperature to have the top off. Okay, yes, that makes yeah. sense. So yeah. The opposite of what we have. No, no kidding. Yeah. So, uh, uh, but the paint fades because it's sitting outside and... Uh, was it garage kept or was no, it outside? it was an outside car. It was an outside car. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And uh, so it'd be taken down to Mako. Or a similar shop. Yeah. And sprayed. $29 paint job. And exactly. The only thing that wasn't painted were the lights and the bumpers. The chrome on the side, uh, the little emblems and so on, they were all painted. Oh my goodness, really? Yes. Yeah. Uh, under the hood had been painted. Uh, the air cleaner was painted. The firewall, <laughs> everything. The wiring harness and so on. And it sounds terrible. But it actually protected all the parts underneath. Oh, really? So I spent hours and hours with lacquer thinner and a rag uh, cleaning this paint off all these parts. Oh. And it's got the original finish on many of the parts on it. So it is, what color is this red called? Do you know? It's called flame red. It's an, the original color. Original for the color. It, has it been repainted now again to be flame red? Like, yes. is this a newer paint job on here? The paint on this here, yeah. Uh, the clear is is new. Oh, okay. Uh, there's a base coat and a clear coat on it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And uh, the base coat, uh, um, a couple years ago, uh, three years ago, I guess, uh, I was hit by a lady. Oh no! Yes, 
and put a wrinkle in the front fender. Gotcha. So had to paint the front fender and uh, there was a little scratch in the door. So I had to paint the door yeah. as well on the passenger side. And uh, then uh, uh, after it was fixed, uh, had to... SGI took a look at the car and said, well, we'll clear coat those panels. Yes. And uh, then he took a look and said, we'll stop at the body seam. Well, on these cars, the fenders are all welded on. So there is no body seam. Uh, So he said, oh, well, we'll have to stop at the end of the car. But then there's no body seam there. So he walked around the whole car and said, the only thing separate are the trunk, the hood, and the driver's door that we don't have to clear. Everything else has to be clear. So uh, I said, well, we'll clear the whole car. And uh, I paid a little extra to have the, the, hood the whole thing cleared. cleared again. But uh, most of it, the paint is from 1985. Uh, uh, 1985. Yeah. So when you got it back, that was the time between when you bought it and the 1985 is when you kind of got all the paint stripped off of it and then back down and, yeah. and painted <laughs> to the, its original color. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I bought it in uh, 1984. Okay, yeah. It took me one year. A whole year. Yeah, but I'd spent seven years on the white one. I knew where to get parts. I knew exactly how to take everything apart and so on. Sure. And uh, I started in the time I got it. And uh, I just, the day after I got it, I started taking the Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, interior is white. Did you have to redo any of that? Um, the seat cover is still original in it. Really? Yes. Yeah. And it's about due for a replacement. Mm, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, it's, you can get a lot of parts through Ford for it still. Really? Yes. That's yeah. impressive. Uh, one of the things Ford said is that it's been a good public relations, uh, thing for the company. Mm-hmm. It's a very recognizable car. One of the most recognizable Fords out there. Yeah. Like probably top five, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's quite a few, but yeah. of course the Mustang and all that, but this is the other one, right? Even little kids come up and they seem to know what it is. Yeah. yeah. That's a Thunderbird. And it's still used in many modern ads. Totally. Yeah. Well, it's a sensational car. So, uh, engine wise, have to do anything there? Um, it's mostly original engine. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I had to replace a front damper on it. Uh, it broke after, uh, many years, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I was going out to a parade, and I felt a, a, a slight vibration in the car, and then a loud knock. Mm. And here, the front damper actually broke off the front of the engine. So, oh wow! Uh, it took me better part of a year to get the car back on the road. Really? Yeah, uh, because uh, the way the engine is designed, the part that was broken off was still way in the engine, and I didn't want to damage anything else. Oh boy! And the front damper is unique to five, six, seven Thunderbird. Mm-hmm. So I think I paid $1,200 for a new dam- or a used damper. Holy. The, but it was that or not drive it. Well, yeah. And you, no, you can't do that. <laughs> now, uh, I know there's some Thunderbirds that have some pretty special features, right? Yeah. There were some pretty unique options in this year, like the dialomatic seat. Right. I've read about that where yeah. you basically <laughs> set the, your power seat and it's a power bench seat. It can be a power bench seat. Right. Uh, to a, a number, you, you kind of memorized the number and it was a dial. Right. There's and a number and a letter. There's a number two, letter. Two yes. Yeah. Yes. And if you knew that your favorite position was a three or B six, you set it to that and it would move the seat to that point. Right. And then you, the other driver would pick B two or C four, whatever. Right. Uh-huh. And move it that, move theirs that way. 
That's a really, really rare option. It is, because they only had it in the first part of 57. Mm -hmm. And uh, they discovered there was a problem with it in that <clears throat> a short driver uh, would have the seat ahead and, uh, and up. And when, if the car stalled and you tried to start it, the seat would automatically move to the exit position. So it would move all the way back and you couldn't reach the pedals. <laughs> now, be, being a tall person, I can't imagine that because I've got the seat back all the time and sure. I'm still cramped inside the car. But yeah. I guess there are small people that had trouble with this. So, so. And, they, and then they'd stall the car, be a manual. Yeah. And then they would have to sit there with the ignition on waiting for the seat to get back up to the front. Right. So they could put the clutch in. That's right. Basically, yeah. right? Yes. And get the car started again. Okay. So, uh, power seat in this one or not? Power seat, power windows. Uh, yeah. And I don't remember. There was was there any options? Town and country radio at all? T town and country radio. Yeah. It's a signal seeking radio. Uh, it's got uh, a volumatic radio, which means that uh, they put an extra tube in it. Believe it or not, so that as the engine RPM went up, the volume of the radio went up. So technically, the faster you drive, the higher the volume of the radio. That's like a modern car thing that they've done, right? Well, it is, yeah. But but back in 1957, <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Power steering, power brakes. Oh, okay, okay. Which... And then and then the the air conditioning. Now, in this case, it's aftermarket, right? Yes, yeah. From '58, so it's quite a, just about as old as the car, anyways. Could you get AC? No, you couldn't get AC. Couldn't in get the cars. AC in the car. No. no. So it just wasn't an option yet no. from, from Ford anyways. Yeah. I guess they figured it was a convertible. What the heck do you need AC for? Exactly. Right? Yeah. Uh, you could get AC in the full-size cars, but not in the Thunderbird. Right, right. Yeah. And uh, dual, a... dual tops, that's an option too, right? Actually, they were sold without a top. They were sold without a top? Yes. Now, I don't know if anybody ever bought one without a top other than maybe some racers. Right. But uh, the base price was the car without a top, and you could get what they considered three tops. One was just a tonneau cover that snapped on or over the, the passenger compartment. Oh, yeah. Okay, I'm aware yeah. of that one. And yeah. uh, I had, uh, my white one had that feature on it, but I didn't like all the snaps that were in the uh, uh, trim around yeah. the doors and so on. So uh, uh, I didn't want that in this car. And then there was the soft top, which stores behind the seat, and the hard top, which is a retractable hard, or I shouldn't say retractable, it's a liftoff right. hard top. It's actually overhanging from the garage roof on the other side of us here. Yeah, I've only had it on the car a couple times. Portholes in that top. Yes, yeah, but that's not supposed to have portholes in I was going to say, wasn't that a 56 thing? 56 was when the portholes came in. Yeah. Yeah, and 57, most of them had portholes but you could order a top without the portholes. Oh, still. okay. And if you got a top without the portholes, it came with a little red Thunderbird emblem on the side of the top. And if you look up there, that's got the little red emblem on the side of the top. Yeah, it does. Pre and the portholes. The previous owner bought the kit and put the portholes in it. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you're probably actually a little angry at that, aren't you? Well, if you've got the top on the car, the portholes are really nice to have yeah because it's a huge blind spot back there it's a very wide pillar yeah that that makes up the back end of that top yeah. but on the other hand i'll bet you it's pretty rare to have a, a top with no windows yes yeah but but i could put it back to having no windows it's a fiberglass top oh, okay so you know it could be fiberglassed in and refinished you and could do some work with that but like i said i've had it on the car a couple times you know one was for a wedding one was for a trip to calgary and 
and so on. But uh, I got to say that like this is so close to my dream car. To be completely honest, my dream car is the 56. And uh, I, I like the Continental kit on the back. And uh, I really like the 56. Now, this is still a beautiful interior, but the 56 had the transparent uh, dashboard. Yes. So you could yep. see through the speedometer, out the other sp- side of the speedometer, and then through the windshield, which I think is just really fascinating too. And 56 had, now does this have a tack in it? Yes. It does have a tack. tack. Okay. So they all had them at that point, right? They were cable drive tack. They drive off the distributor on the engine. Yep. And uh, back, just like a speedometer drive. So I think I like, I I don't know. I guess it's just, I like the Continental kit. But I heard that that actually was kind of a a bit of an issue for these cars, right? Well, it was. Uh, The 56 is about six inches shorter in the body. And then the Continental kit was hung on the back. Mm. And because all that weight was way out at the back with that spare tire, yeah. uh, the handling suffered on it. Did it really? So that's one of the rationales for the 57 became a little longer in the back. Uh, it's actually the same length as the 56 overall now. Okay. There's no Continental kit. They put the spare tire back into so you, the So you actually trunk. gain a little bit of trunk space in this. The trunk is actually fairly usable in it. Yeah, now, that's not bad. I can put camping gear in there and a big cooler and uh, so on and go for a weekend. Well, and, and I'm just staring at the back of it now. I mean, 57, we were really in the space race and that was just the styling, right? And oh, it was... fins are in. Fins are in. And I th- probably my favorite part of the whole car is the tailpipes because they the exhaust exits out the back corners of the bumper. Yes, yeah. Instead of below the car. Instead of below the car, just some boring old, you know, uh, angled tailpipes or straight pipes or whatever. And both 56 and 57 did this where... They came out the corners of the bumper. Yeah, there's not many vehicles around that had uh, exhaust out the bumpers themselves. No, and it, but it looks so... And of course, the, the taillights themselves are that, you know, rocket-style thing where it looks like a jet engine or looks yeah. like a rocket engine kind of thing. So the whole thing, you know, is really styled after that space-age sort of look. Yeah, there's a lot of parts on the car that are common with uh, 57 Ford. For example, the whole instrument cluster oh, okay. uh, is common. Uh, the gauges themselves are, are unique to the Thunderbird because the speedometer goes higher because it's a sports car. Yeah, yeah. And the tachometer and uh, there's actual gauges rather than idiot lights in the, uh, or warning lights, I should say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, lights are the same. Park lights are the same. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, Lot of the suspension is the same as 53, 54 Ford. Oh, really? Yeah. They used a lot of the same pieces. But what they did do is like, what's what's under the hood of this one? This is the 312. Uh, it's the first year for the Holly 4150 four barrel carburetor. Cool. Yeah. And uh, factory dual exhaust on it. They really? all came with dual exhaust. Uh, it's got a three speed automatic, but it's a Ford automatic, they call it. And it only shows two gears on the shifter. Oh. Yes. So if you pull it into low range, it starts out in first gear. Ah. Uh, when you hit about 25 miles per hour, it will automatically shift to second gear. Okay. Yeah. And uh, if you put it into drive, then it'll shift up to third gear. But what if you just take off from a dead stop and drive? It starts in second gear. Oh. So if you really want to get a hop on the green light, you pull it down in the no, low. No, you don't get a hop on the green light. <laughs> You're talking at the drag strip now. <laughs> <laughs> How, you know, I've never driven something like this. Uh, 
how 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 does it actually accelerate and, and, and handle? Because this was considered a sports car for 1957. If you really look at it, it's not that big of a car. It's certainly smaller than this Impala sitting next to us. Actually, they're both about the same weight. Are they really? Yes. The frame on this thing is quarter-inch plate all the way through. Oh, it's heavy-duty then. Yes. Because it's smaller in size, though. Oh, yeah. It's much smaller. It's, it's shorter. It's three even, feet shorter. Uh, <laughs> even lower to the ground uh, by yeah. a little bit. You know, maybe a little bit narrower, right? Right. So uh, this was considered a sports car. So does it drive at all like a sports car? Uh, it doesn't handle the corners like a sports car. Right. You know, the, the sway bar on the front is the size of my little finger. And, uh, and, so <laughs> and there's on. Not, nothing on the back. Yeah. No, there's nothing on the back. So. Is it leaf springs on the back? It is. It's a leaf springs. Yeah. yeah. But it's as an everyday driver, it's, uh, it's quite reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. And acceleration-wise? Acceleration-wise. Moves- I've had it out at the drag strip. Really? Yeah. Uh, I turned a 14.2 quarter mile with it, uh, shifting at 4,000 RPM. Wow. So I, I didn't want to rev it uh, faster just because uh, I'm not into blowing up engines. No, especially not like this. Yeah. yeah when it's the original engine to the car. Yeah. So, so I, I figure that's pretty reasonable uh, speed for one of these here. Did, is, did they give you a zero to 60 time out of that at all? Uh, they did, but I forget. What yeah. It was. That's still pretty good though. I mean, uh, because for years after this Thunderbird came out, like 55 Thunderbird came out, they branded the Thunderbird V8. Yes. Right? Like that was what was put into the rest of the Ford lineup, should you have ordered it, right? Right. That was the high performance. That was the high performance. But it was named the Thunderbird V8. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And there were two higher horsepower engines in this one as well. Oh, really? Yes. This one's got the single four barrel. Okay. And then you could get the the dual four barrel version in it. And uh, if you really wanted to spend the big bucks, you could get the supercharged. The forced induction one. Yes. Uh, Hemmings just had an article about that not too long ago. An orange 57. Ah, uh, yes. I missed one in Edmonton many years ago and uh, an auction. Really? Yes. And I, I should have bought it. They only made, they claimed 204 of these <gasps> that were supercharged. And uh, the body on it was absolutely terrible. Oh, really? Yes, it was rusted and so on. But uh, you can get good bodies. Yep. And to have the, the frame with the serial number and the data plate and everything on it, uh, those cars are selling, you know, $200,000 plus yeah. just for a supercharged one. Well, even this 57, the way it is, is worth a good amount of money. Let's put it that oh, way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and I've got it insured for a good amount of money. Yeah, I'm sure you do, you know, uh, because they are really sought after now. They they have gone up in value. They're not all classic cars have, no. but I mean the Thunderbirds really have. They they absolutely have. Well, they seem to have a timeless appeal. You know, it's uh, there's always moments when I'm driving the car. Uh, you know, uh, one night I'm driving downtown. I stop at a light. Two people slide into the car. Just open the door and slide in. What? Yeah. Really? Yeah. <laughs> they just wanted to see the car so bad. You know? <laughs> they did that. Yeah. Wow. Another time I'm out in Kelowna and a friend and I are driving and there's a crosswalk. And uh, there's this little old lady with double canes and she's walking across <laughs> the crosswalk. So I stop and she ambles across. She gets right in front of the car. She stops. She turns towards the car looks at the car up and down. She straightens up her back and she kind of struts across. And I'm thinking, what memories does she have? Uh, <laughs> there's no back seat, but that probably didn't stop her. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, you know. But even little kids, 
love yeah. the car. Yeah. And, and it's low to the ground so they can see in where, you know, if you go to a cruise weekend or whatever mm-hmm. and you look at the cars, you got to hold the kids up to see in so many of the cars. This one, they could walk right up and they look inside. So they think it's neat. I've always, uh, I've always loved these. I've always had a thing for the, the Thunderbirds, uh. especially the baby birds, you know. But uh, yeah, mm-hmm. and it's a great color combination. And it's, well, it's, uh. did, did you have to re-chrome everything on this? Um, yeah, I pretty well went through everything. Uh, there's a couple of the emblems are new. Okay. Uh, uh, it was much cheaper to just get the new ones, and they're still sold in the Ford box with the Ford part number. On oh, them. okay. So they're real. They're legit Ford parts. Yeah. They're not knockoffs from wherever else. No. Yeah. No. Uh, I've still got the original ones. Oh, really? The car, but uh, it was just you know rather than rechroming something for let's say a hundred dollars, I could get the original part or a replacement part for twenty five. Well, that just makes sense. Yeah. I get that. Yeah, for but, sure. Uh, all the stainless uh, polished it and uh, and so on. And the chrome was uh, all redone. And... Oh, man. It's, it's, this, this car has been, like I say, in a musical, in parades. It's been in a music video. It's been a oh, lot of places. Yeah. Uh, Great West had it in an ad way back when, when they first started. Really? Yes. Yeah. We put it in the Western Development Museum in the old garage in the Western Development Museum. Oh, really? And there were cases of Great West product uh, oh. stacked up around. And so <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah, so just different things. You know, it's kind of neat how uh, you've got a whole bunch of different interests, Jim, because there's how many BMW bikes? One, two, three, four, five, six, five, six, a Triumph over there, probably more, yeah. seven or eight, whatever it is. And you've got a 57 Ford Thunderbird, like, you know, kind of night at the hop, sort of, you know, um, you could call it, uh, you know, the grease kind of look or, or that. And then you've got the 64 here too, you know, and it, it, like it's, it's more of a muscle car. Yeah. Like you kind of yeah. like it all, don't you? I do. Yeah. I, I love all kinds of cars and, <laughs> and I don't care what condition they're in. You know, it's, it doesn't have to have shiny paint on it and so on. It, uh, I like original, I like, uh, modified, um, there's one of my former students I met here about five blocks from here. We were out in a walk one night. He's got a Bonneville racer. Oh, cool. Yeah. So he's had it down to the salt flats three or four times. Wow. And uh, it's an amazing car, you know. Well, and then your El Camino is certainly a daily driver, right? Never been restored, it doesn't look like. No, it's it's had work done to it, but it's never but been restored. restored yeah. yeah. So it's just uh, out in the driveway kind of car, run around town sort of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, the, these two in here are, are beautiful, shiny, but, uh, yeah, everything. The El Camino will eventually get there, yeah. but, uh, you know, it's, uh, I'm into doing all the mechanical work first before I do the body work and so on. And, uh, I want to do smart. the suspension up on the El Camino first. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, those can be really tuned up, can't they? Oh yes. Yeah. There's lots of parts because it's the same as the Chevelles. Right. Uh, and the El Camino was classed as a Chevelle back then. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. The only, one of the big differences was the frame was different at the back because of the box. It was the same as the station wagon frame, and it was fully boxed to, mm. to handle the load. So it's sure. actually a stronger frame than the Chevelles. Mm, that makes sense. That makes yeah. sense. So, okay, let's go right back to the first thing we talked about here uh, in bald tires. We have this, this Jello kit with all these collectible wheels. Have you also been a collector of other automotive paraphernalia things? Has that been a, a thing of yours too? Yes. Yeah. I've got uh, in my uh, room downstairs, there's a little 
matchbox cars, uh, some uh, uh, Meccano. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, um, uh, Le- Disney or uh, Lesney cars. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I've got uh, some tin toys and so on that that type of thing you know, that I've collected. Uh, my sons have been into Lego, so they've built Lego cars. You know, that, <laughs> sitting on display. That's <laughs> what I did as a kid too. I'd buy Lego car kits, or I'd have enough car kits, and then I'd make my own cars and 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 all kinds of stuff like that too. Yeah. So. Um, I collect uh, old literature and so on. Uh, some of the press kits. I got rid of many of the press kits because uh, they just took up so much room. But I've got uh, a few. I've got a press kit from uh, 2002 uh, GM Powertrain Tour. Oh, cool. Which uh, we were down in California and it was amazing. We drove and rode in everything you can imagine that was GM, uh, had GM powertrains. You know, a forklift with uh, GM powertrains <laughs> and they had us lifting pallets of engine blocks with the <laughs> forklift. Uh, what they didn't tell you is that all the uh, engine blocks were made out of styrofoam and just painted gray to look like the original <laughs> one. <laughs> so, if you, so if you dumped it over, <laughs> you didn't dump an engine on the floor. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, we're in a man lift 125 feet in the air. You know, it's got a 15,000 pound counterweight on it. You oh, know? wow. You're up there and it sways a little bit and you're mm. moving like mm-hmm. six feet back and forth, but the view is amazing. Oh, cool. Uh, Ron Fellows is a racer that's uh, been on uh, road race tracks, uh, offshore boat racing and so on. Mm. He took us out in uh, a boat he had, uh, twin horsepower or twin engine Vortec, six liter engines <sighs> Whoa. in a cigarette style boat. Wow. Uh, it was offshore racing. Uh, it's seated four inside. Uh, half inch thick fiberglass. Uh, the hatch came down on top of you and it was bolted in. Took two people to drive it. Uh, one operated the steering and the throttles, and the other person operated the ballast tanks. And they could scoop water up from underneath the boat and, and load it into forward tanks or back tanks and side to side, and they could dump it just as quick. Huh. And uh, so as they got into real choppy offshore waves, uh, we were out on a small lake that was maybe two and a half miles across. Yeah. We'd hit 120 miles per hour Whoa. halfway across the lake. Holy in smoke. In a boat. Yeah. <laughs> That's flying. And it's designed so that if it hit a wave and went under, the whole boat would go under and it'd just come straight back, back out up. again. Yeah. And uh, you're in this sealed cockpit. Yeah. <laughs> like, like a diving submarine kind of. Yes, pretty right? well. Yeah. yeah. We were on uh, an airboat like you see in the Everglades. Type oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. With a big prop on the back. Yeah. yeah. Big... With uh, twin eight foot counter rotating props driven by a 454 Chev engine. Uh, oh, cool. You know, and we're on uh, uh, three of us sitting on the top seat of it where the uh, driver is down in front mm-hmm. uh, a little lower. And uh, we went across an island out there at 50 miles per hour. That we didn't even slow down for the island and brush <laughs> and so on. <laughs> we, we were talking about it, and he said when he first made it, uh, they were paving the road out in front of his place, and uh, they had the road blocked off uh, after they'd finished paving it. They hadn't put the lines on yet. So he took it out on the highway. <laughs> yeah, and he's doing 50 miles per hour on the highway with this airboat just running on the nylon sliders on the bottom. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's fascinating. I mean, like that would have been an incredible tour of that. That that's uh, you've seen some stuff that that I think a lot of car people, guys and gals, dream of seeing. You know, 
I've been very lucky. Yeah. You know, mm. factory tours, those experiences, driving the stuff you've driven. You know, for a short while, I, I've worked at a couple of dealerships and gotten just a small taste of driving some new stuff, you know, before it was uh, delivered to the to the dealership, you know, pre-production stuff. Yeah. And I just thought that was so cool. But you've done a ton of that, you know, and seen all that. That's That's pretty fun. That's, you know, talk about a car guy. I mean, you've got this stuff in here, you've got the bikes, and you've been writing about cars for forever so yeah well uh, oil runs in my veins i guess hey eh? <laughs> thank you so much for joining me this oh, has been welcome, a fantastic Jay. trip uh you know if you if you're listening by the way right now uh check out pictures of the 57 thunderbird and the 64 impala they're going to be up on jthomasauto.ca and and uh we'll we'll show you what we were talking about throughout all that but uh jim um if people are again looking for more things you've written you said halifax is uh the chronicle, the chronicle there yeah and where else? Uh, Winnipeg Free Press. Okay, good. Yeah. Some good places to find where, uh, yeah. where what you've written about it, as well. If you uh, search for Jim Kerr Automotive, you'll find all kinds of stuff coming up because I do a lot of technical articles as well. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay, thanks again. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have to do this again sometime. Talk some more about some of these bikes and stuff too. So sounds great. Okay, and thank you for listening. By the way, subscribe and follow along because of course there is a Bald Tires episode that comes out every week. I'm Jay Thomas. Thanks for listening to Bald Tires.